what are some of the attitudes that settlers hold on to that just perpetuates the same old violence, the same old systems of containment and appropriation and so on? Oh, there's so many frustrations. Just sheer ignorance. People have this idea that we get everything from the government for free, which is not true. They think we get some kind of monthly check. And I was explaining to an immigrant woman, actually, that we get $5 a year, and it's a token payment for the land that Treaty 6 is on. They think that we get free housing. I've been doing some research into housing because I know the housing is inadequate and it's poorly built. I learned that Indigenous houses on reserve are $72 a square foot, and the average house in a city is about $200 a square foot. So there's a real disparity there. It's overcrowded. So you'll have extended family, grandma, grandpa, daughter, husband, their four children, and then maybe their spouses, maybe their children. So, you know, you get 10 to 12 people in a house that costs $72 a square foot. It's not going to last. And that idea that we just destroy our housing, well, what are you going to do? You can't repair and keep a house in good order that's $72 a square foot. It's impossible. I have a master's degree and I've worked part-time my whole career. I haven't been able to get a full-time university job. I applied to the U of S for a studio position and they said that I would have to sessional a studio class before I could apply. And I'm like, what bullshit is that? I've taught 26 years in an Indian institution. I've been doing studio classes. Yeah. Do you make everybody who applies has to teach a sessional class before you hire them? That's, you know, it's just pure bullshit. Yeah. It is really hard for an Indian to get a job. And then we're called lazy and, oh, God, I don't even want to talk about that anymore. We do these land acknowledgements and we say that we're on Treaty 6 territory. There's something about that that is a bit strange to acknowledge a treaty when, in fact, we're on this land. And I, I wonder if, if the treaty is not itself a kind of containment. When they started land acknowledgements, I thought that, you know, they do, we're on land of Treaty 6, and that's a big land base. And the treaty that we signed really, uh, the only thing that we really benefit from is the $5, really. I remember I was in Winnipeg. I was on a jury and somebody was talking about this guy was uh, photographing treaty land. I tried to explain to him that treaty land is not the reserve land. Treaty land is a huge mass of land that Manitoba sits in. And he couldn't understand that. I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not just the little piece of land that the reserves are on. Treaty 6 is a huge piece of land, and it's got all kinds of people in it. I would actually prefer if they would list the tribes that live in Treaty 6 rather than just say Treaty 6. I think that's lazy. 
Yeah. And that's another thing is as Indians, we're all Indians, but they don't realize that there's different tribes and different tribes have different culture. Like the Plains tribes are basically the same kind of culture. It was horse culture. It was the sun dance, that kind of thing. But there are so many languages within the Plains culture that they use sign language to communicate with each other. Huh. But people... People don't think about different tribes. Like there's the Assiniboine and the Soto and the Cree, the Plains Cree, and then we have Swampy Cree and Woodland Cree yeah. in northern Saskatchewan, and we're all different people. We're not all the same. And that's why I think if they could recognize it by the different tribes. I always come back to capitalism. <laughs> it's this colonial violence of cutting up land that doesn't pay attention to, as you say, the different tribes. The Saskatchewan-Alberta border is just this line that is cut. Yeah, absolutely straight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, first of all, historically, Cree and Blackfoot do not get along. They're mortal enemies all throughout history. I always get bent out of shape when I go into, <laughs> into Blackfoot territory because like, you know, each tribe has their own map of where they belonged, right? And every time I go into Southern Saskatchewan or Southern Alberta, there's a map of the Blackfoot Confederacy. And it bugs me because it's a heavy black line that goes around and it goes right into the Cypress Hills, mm. which is where my people were from originally. At least it should be a perforated line because it shifted back and forth as, you know, they fought each other and whatever. And I think that would be a more honest portrayal of the land than the way they do it, which drives me crazy. But anyway. <laughs> but when we collectively imagine a decolonized land, are we imagining a land with people living together, respectful of difference, and released? from containers. Really? That would be really nice. That would be a dream. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't think, you know, it's like when you look at what's going on in the U.S., I've been doing a lot of reading around defunding police, and yeah. man, that makes a lot of sense. It really does. I think, okay, what if we defunded the police and we had all these supports for people and we started treating people like human beings? That would be just so great. And then uh, I get kind of pulled back into white people aren't going to let that happen mm. because they, they just can't see a world without police saving them from the other, you know, the dangerous other. Oh, white people have so much work to do that they don't want to. And, and they don't feel like they, it's necessary for them because their lives are fine. And if we become more equal, then somehow they're going to lose something. Yeah. Yeah. We are having this conversation not in person. We are observing safety protocols in the time of the coronavirus. 
this virus is shaking the foundations of global capitalism. And the response seems to be as diverse as hopeful that something more open will take the place of the society when we, when we emerge from this, but also pessimistic as even darker forms of control might be installed. And I think we're kind of seeing both. I wanted to know your own feelings about that. Oh, I've got such high hopes. <laughs> The world needs to change. We can't keep going the way we are. Capitalism has to die. It won't sustain itself. We have to stop. We can't buy cheap plastic goods from China. And we have to learn to live in a different way. And I'm hoping that people being at home with their families will help. You know, I've read the Happiness Report, and to be happy, a family of four needs $70,000 a year. Now, to me, that's an amazing amount of money because I've grown up poor. But to most people, it's probably less than they actually make. When you think of two adults going out to work full time, yeah. I'm sure they make more than that. And why can't we just cap? Everybody only makes $70,000 a year. And we also work four days a week. Apparently, if we work four days a week, we can help save the environment. And people just have more free time and enjoy their families and enjoy a different pace of life rather than going to work and running off to Walmart to buy stuff for your kids because you feel guilty. Go out in nature. Take your kids for a walk. Just get off this whole crazy ride that we've been on for so long. We don't know how to live any other way. Yeah. Yeah. So I want a guaranteed annual income to come out of this. I want consumer capitalism to morph into something else that's livable for people to have a better life. And that doesn't mean more money. Are you hopeful that this younger generation that there might be something in our time right now that is going to make a difference as compared to maybe other times? Well, we've got, we've got a pandemic which makes us stay at home, work from home, or collect CERB. The great thing that's coming out of this is that oil is plunging like crazy. The tar sands are no longer sustainable. If that's not sustainable, then we don't need pipelines because there's nothing to ship. And so I'm hoping that that happens and Alberta is going to be a have-not province. That's okay. Have-not provinces get through it somehow. They find a way. Yeah, and the other thing is we're all consuming less. Yeah, people are learning to cook, which is really good. People are planting vegetables. The things that we have to think about, food sovereignty and all those kinds of things, it's actually very good for us. 